We're in Ezra chapter 4. There are really important things taking place here in now Ezra because we're learning how to face opposition. We're learning how to face opposition. And I want you to, to write that down maybe if you like taking notes right next to that chapter. Learning how to face opposition. And what, what kind of opposition do you usually face when you want to do something great for God? We face two types of opposition. We know from the enemy, he likes to use, number one, discouragement. And he also likes to use deception. And he'll use the two of these in order to stop us, to put us at a halt, to put us now on hold, so that we would be discouraged enough not to move forward. So that we could stay in one place. So that we want to quit. So that we want to give up. And we have to know, yes, we have adversity, but we also have an advocate. Yes, we have an advocate, and that is Jesus Christ. And through going to His Word, through seeking Him in prayer, through seeking Him through the Holy Spirit, we know that we have the victory. We know that. And you don't have to quit. You don't have to give up. It's always too soon to quit. It's always too soon to give up. Anytime that you sign up to serve God, to live your life for Jesus, expect spiritual warfare. You want to do something great for God? Expect spiritual warfare. You see, Satan is at work because God is building His church. I want you to remember that today. Satan is at work because God is building His church. And every time God wants to build His church, Satan will do everything possible to stop the building of His church. He'll do anything possible. He'll attack you. He'll attack your, if you're married, your marriage. If you, he'll attack you and your job, your finances. He'll even attack your health. Everything to stop you from doing what God called you to do. And he'll start with that discouragement. You know, it's so sad when you see this world, how bad it's gone. You see how vile it's become, how sick it's become. Because we've given ourselves over to, as an entire world and culture, over to these demonic dark things. Today I was looking and I was sent a video of, of this little cartoon uh, thing that, that kids are watching on TV. And in the middle of this, you see a, something which is a, a scary face come up, a doll, so to speak, and start telling the kids to cut themselves, to kill themselves, and then it goes back to the cartoon. Man, I'll tell you, when I saw that, it made me, it, it made me have the chills. Because some of your kids are probably watching that, and you don't even know. Because maybe some of our relatives, the little kids, are watching that stuff. More and more, do you see now... Kids thinking it's okay to, to draw figures of, of kids committing suicide or somebody hanging themselves. And now that's, a, now that's an icon. Now, now that's almost like a, a symbol now. It, it's, a, it's a statement now. And that's our culture screaming for what? Attention. Screaming for attention. That's exactly why we have to be about our Father's business. That's why we have to be about our Father's business. You see, when we're going through trials, when we're going through pressure and, and, and through uh, these circumstances, you have to know that we must endure, must endure and do not let discouragement delay you. What has God called you to do today? Has God called you to do something? I pray that discouragement would not be delaying you. That discouragement would not be stopping you. That discouragement would not lead you to put your calling on hold. That it would not interrupt what God has called you to do. It would not interrupt it. Let's go to Ezra chapter 4 verse 1 and it says here, now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel. Now they're building now. 
And their adversaries, their enemy knows that now they're building now the temple. We left off in chapter 3 when they're in the altar now. They've laid the foundation. Now they're going to build. And it says here now that the enemy found out and they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, let us build with you. Let's mix in. Let's go in and, and help you. These are the adversaries saying this. Come on, let's help you, it says here. And the heads of the fathers in the house and said, let us build with you. For we seek your God as you do, and we have sacrificed to him since the days of Esrahadon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Joshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel said to them, You may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we alone will build the Lord, the God, uh, God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, had commanded us. Then the people of the land tried to discourage here the people of Judah, and they troubled them in the building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. All the days of Cyrus here, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we pray, God, that we would not let the opposition, the enemy, Lord, come, Lord, and disrupt what you've called us to do. That we would not let condemnation that we would not let discouragement, that we would not let the voices of this world tell us that we can't do what you called us to do, God. And we pray, Lord, for our children. Lord, all these vile things that are taking place, God, we pray, Lord, for awareness. Lord, that we would be aware, that we would be involved, that we would know that you would create a sense of urgency, a sense of responsibility, God, for these things that are taking place. And that we would pray, Lord. But then more than pray, Lord, that we would move into action, God. I ask, Lord, that you would show us through your word today, God, what you want us to do in Jesus' name. Together we said, Amen. It said here now that they're building now. Their adversaries heard, hey, the Israelites now are building now in Jerusalem. They are back. They've moved back in. They're starting the right way. What are they doing? They're worshiping God. But they start to build. And these now adversaries come. And they said, hey, can we build with you guys? Can we come in? And they have a hidden agenda. They have a secret motive. And they said, can we build now the temple with you? What are they doing? They want to influence and they want to control. Anytime they want, you see an adversary or enemy come, and let me get involved with God's work. And maybe they don't have the same faith. Maybe they don't have the same values. Maybe they don't have the same vision. But they can help you. They can provide help. It's tempting for us to accept that help sometimes, but at the expense of what? Are we going to compromise our, our vision, our value? Are we going to compromise our faith, what God's called us to do? Because here they saw this as an opportunity. If we get involved, then we can influence and we can control. And we should never let the world come into the church and say, let me help to influence and control what God is doing here. And that goes with anything that maybe God's placed in your hand. Maybe He has placed something in your life, a gift, a talent. Whatever it would be here, these people come with the hidden intention and motive. We want to influence and we want to control. Let's mix in with what, what's taking place here. Let's mix in with the leadership. You see, for these people, they weren't serving the same God, Yahweh. And they said, this is an opportunity for us to become famous. This is an opportunity for us to become influential. It's an opportunity for us to be known and control and gain now. But we know that ministry and building anything from the ground up is so that we can serve God and that we can serve people. 
Here they had a choice, I want you to know that. To please God or to please their neighbors. You know what the enemy is going to try to do when you try to do something for the Lord? He's going to come and disrupt from the inside out. So the adversary said, come, let, let me, let's intermingle with you guys. Let's mix it up. And then they could have had the decision of saying, you know what, let, we're going to accept that. But they said, you know what, in verse 3, 4, and 5, we will not accept your help. Because we know that what you come to bring, your ideas, your values, everything that you're bringing, it's coming and it's going to compromise and it's going to corrupt what God has given us. And they want to build, not only build, but they want to build the right way. It says here now in verse here 3, But Zerubbabel and Joshua, the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel, said to them, You may do nothing with us to build a house for our God. They said no. You know what we have to be? We have to be willing to say. We have to be learn and be willing to say no to the world. I think too many times we're so attracted by the help that the world can provide us, the promotion, the visibility, the exposure that people can give us. Maybe they have a position. Maybe they have uh, an influencer, or they're well known, and we say, you know what? We want you to help us. But whose help is more valuable to you, God's help or the world's help? Because the world always comes with its own intentions. And those intentions never align with the will of God. Their motives were different. Their motives were selfish. And here's Zerubbabel knew and understood, discerned, and said, you may have nothing to do with what we're doing. Why? They were keeping the quality and the control of what God was doing there. I think we have to check our hearts and say, Lord, can we keep the quality? Can we control the quality right here? And whatever it is that you're doing, we want to... We want to guard ourselves from ungodly influences. And I want you to, to pray today. And I want you to ask yourself, am I protecting myself? Am I protecting what God has given me, what God has entrusted me? Am I protecting that from an ungodly outside influence that wants to come in and distort that? Although it may seem helpful, although that it may seem that it can come in and really give us an impactful outcome and result, are we guarding ourselves against ungodly influence that can come and bring now some circumstances and lead us into temptation? You see, we have to not ignore these warnings. These men of faith had often fallen before into this type of temptation, saying, you know, it's an early circumstance. We're building just from the ground up. We have these opportunities, these positions open. We need the help. So let's just let anyone come in if they want to help us. But not these people. They said, no, we're not going to compromise our principles in order to get the help that we want today and pay for the consequences tomorrow. Are you going to compromise when it comes to principles because somebody else just decided that they can offer you help? Or you rather please the Lord and displease man? Whose help really is valuable to us? Do we trust God that He is able to do what He said He can do? Even if it makes sense in the eyes of the world, we're saying, no, we do not want to accept your influence. We don't want to accept your help. We want to do this holy. We want to maintain the holiness here. And it says here now, as we continue reading in verse 4, Then, the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. What happened right after there? Their motives were exposed. As soon as you say no to somebody, pay attention to the reaction. Because when you say no, their motives are going to be exposed. They try to help you. They try to come and get involved. And you say, you know, you can just kind of wait a little bit here. You know, you can't be involved with something holy if you're, you're not being holy. 
You can't get involved in something that God is doing and put your hand to it, right? And what do what they do, number one, is they try to discourage now the people. What happened? I thought you were going to help us. I thought you served the same God. No, they didn't. But they came to discourage them. It says here in verse 4, the people of Judah, and they troubled them in building, and they hired counselors. You know what the enemy does? He grabs people and brings them around and says, you know, I'm going to use these people to discourage them from doing what God called them to do. Their number one thing, they're wanting to them to dis be discouraged. Because if the enemy can discourage you, the enemy can stop you. And it says here now, they troubled them in the building and they hired counselors against them. They went and they hired people to come against these people. And look what it says here, these next few words, to frustrate their purpose. What's your purpose? Man, our purpose is to be faithful to God, teach His Word. We want to reach people. Maybe God's put now a purpose. Maybe He's put a vision. Maybe He's put some objectives before you to serve Him in a certain capacity in your own life. And, and you know what He does when He discourages you? You know what? You start to feel frustration in the purpose of what you've been called to do. No, Lord, we're going we're gonna to protect the purpose. We're not going to let the purpose now be frustrated and clouded in our minds. We're not going to get discouraged from what you call us to do because that's what the enemy wants to come. He wants to discourage you and frustrate you from doing what the Lord's called you to do. And it says here, I'm going to frustrate them. I'm going to discourage them. I'm going to want them to not want to have anything to do with this anymore. And they're, going to, they're now facing opposition. All the days of Cyrus, the king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now we see a different now reign here. And you see that now they are looking now to discourage and to frustrate them. That word discourage means literally to weaken the hands. To weaken the hands. The enemy wants to come and weaken your hands. He wants to come and say, you know what, I want nothing to do with that no more. And the devil wins. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, we know be sober and be vigilant. Be very watchful. Be very awake. Be very aware of your surroundings. That's what the Bible tells us through Peter. Because your adversary, the devil. Do you, I mean, we forget sometimes we have an adversary. And because of that, we're not watchful. We're not awake. The devil, your adversary, walks like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour or kill. You see, this little weak, small group of returnees started to overcome opposition by one thing, by faith. By believing that God was going to do what He said He was going to do. And just because they resisted opposition didn't mean that opposition went away instantly or overnight. It was a process. It didn't happen overnight. They didn't overcome opposition overnight. I want you to know that today. Maybe you're facing opposition and you feel so discouraged that you don't want to continue. You feel that you want to be delayed now. You want to stop. You want to be going at a, at, a, at a halt now completely. Opposition doesn't, doesn't, you don't overcome opposition overnight. It doesn't happen like that. It's a process. It doesn't go away immediately. But your faith, and through that opposition, it becomes a part of your, this, your statement of faith. What does your statement of faith look like? Does it look like it's been tested, your statement of faith? Through opposition, through adversity? Do you see resilience coming out of your life? Because God is glorified when, when the weak overcome the strong by faith. 
When the weak overcome the strong by faith, and no matter what the odds may be, they can be stacked up against you. It doesn't make sense logically here, and, and it doesn't make sense what Satan is trying to do. But when you have faith in God, no matter what the odds are, Satan will not have the victory. And it says here now in verse 6, as we continue reading, in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of the reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. I want you to underline that, that word here, an accusation. Because that's what the devil wants you to feel. They want you to feel accused. You know the word for accusation is they wanted to condemn them. You know what the enemy wants you to feel? He wants you to start to feel condemned that you are not worthy to do what God's called you to do. And you start to feel accused. I'm not worthy to do what God's called me to do. I, I can't. I, I am inadequate. I am inept. I am underqualified. I'm not qualified. I don't fit the description now. And he wants to come and accuse you. And you know what he'll use after discouragement and accusation? He'll use deception. Because now they're going to formulate a letter that is filled with lies to try to get the people to stop building this temple. And we have to know that after one, we overcome one opposition, that there's another one that's going to come its way. That's why it's called a battle. That's why it's called spiritual warfare. They have already said no to these people. That you can't help us because we know that you want to influence, because we know that you want to control. And now they go and they write an accusation in a letter, and they're going to fill that letter with lies. Man, the enemy's going to want to lie about you. He's going to fill your, your mind with lies. He's going to fill your mind with accusation. He's going to make you feel so condemned that you don't want to continue going. But it says here now, look, in... The reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of the reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. In the days of Artaxerxes, also Bishlam, Mithrath, Tabel, and the rest of their companions wrote to Ahasuerus, king of Persia. And the letter was written in Aramaic script and translated into the Aramaic language, Rechem, the commander of Shishmai, the scribe wrote the letter against Jerusalem to the king Artaxerxes in this fashion. Look what this letter says. From Rucham, the commander of Shisham, the scribe, the rest of the companions, representatives of the Dionites, the Astrakites, the Terapites, the people of Persia and Erech and Babylon and Shushan, the Dehavites and the Elamites and the rest of the nations whom the great and noble Osmanapur took captive and settled in the cities of Samaria and the reminder beyond the river and so forth. This is the copy of the letter they sent to him. This is a long reading, right? And it says this is actually now the letter now after all of that in verse 11. To King Xerxes, from your servants, the men of the region beyond the river and so forth. Let it be known to you that the king, that the Jews who came up from you have, it says came up to us at Jerusalem are now are building the rebellious and evil city and are finishing its walls and repairing the foundations. What do they start accusing them of? Being rebellious and evil. Now they're rebuilding an, a, a rebellious and evil city, it says here now. See, to the world, when you try to obey God to the world, it's rebellion. To the world, it can be a threat to now the social status and core normal. And it says here, they're repairing the foundations. Let it be known to the king that if the city is built and the walls are completed, they will not pay tax, tribute, or custom, and the king's treasury will be diminished. They're trying to paint a picture in his mind. If they actually now follow what God's calling them to do, if they build now, the king will be threatened in power. 
They're power hungry. They're self-serving. You know why the enemy wants to stop you? Because he's self-serving. He wants you to worship him and not for to worship the Lord. He wants you to worship him. And that's what he's wanting. They're trying to stop him. says, now because we receive support from the palace. Look what they're saying. That you're not going to get paid if they do this. But because we receive support from you. This is such a selfish, self-serving accusation. It is not proper for us to see the king dishonor. Therefore, we have sent and informed the king that this search may be made in the book of the records of your, fa- of your father. He said, go look in the records to see if these people were not rebellious. And you find the book of your records and know that this city is a rebellious city and harmful to the kings and the provinces, that they may be incited sedition within the city in the former times for which caused the city was destroyed. They're saying the reason why this city was destroyed was because they were rebellious, because it was an evil city. It deserves to be destroyed. There's no reason for it to be now again restored and rebuilt now and revived. There is no reason now. We inform the king, verse 16, that if the city is rebuilt and its walls are completed, the result will be that you will have no dominion beyond the river. They're saying they were power hungry. And they're saying if we can stop them, and if we, you know, we can stop now having, them having the control, and if we can promote it in such way where the king is no longer going to have power, then we can stop them from doing what, that, what they were called to do. You see, it's clear and their perspective through the lens of what they're looking at is they're looking at it that these are people who are rebellious. They're a threat to us. They're a threat to our economy. They're, they're so wicked. But what is our job? Follow Jesus. Love people. Trust God. And the truth will be vindicated. You never have to worry about you not telling the truth. If you're telling the truth, you're being honest, you have integrity, guess what? God will defend you. And look what happens here in verse 17 now. And the king sent an answer now. And this is the answer that they wanted to hear. He told them now to stand down. He put them on hold. And it says here now in this letter in verse 17, to Rechem, to the commander, to Shisham, describe to the rest of the companions who dwell in Samaria and the reminder beyond the river, peace and so forth. And look what he's going to tell them now in verse 18 because he starts to stop them. And it says, the, the letter which you sent to us has been clearly read before me, and I gave the command, and a search has been made, and it is found that this city in former times had revolted against kings and rebelled, and sedition has been fostered in it. Yeah, this city has had trouble, in fact. We looked at the records, we looked at the archives, and Jerusalem has been a city that has brought some trouble, right? There have also been mighty kings over Jerusalem who have been ruled over the rain beyond the river, and tax and tribute and customs were paid to them. Now give the command, look what it says here, and make these men seize that this city may not be built until the command is given by me. Stop them. Don't let them build again. And, and, and you think about that. Anytime you're going to start building, anytime God's going to give you that new opportunity, that moving opportunity, that second chance, the revival, what's going to happen? The enemy's going to come in and say, no, don't let them build again. No, they're evil. They're wicked. They don't deserve to build again. Discouragement starts to seep in. You start to feel the condemnation of the enemy and the oppression of what the enemy wants to do to stop you from building what God's called you to do. And it said it's here now in verse 22, Take heed now that you do not fail to do this. Why should damage increase to the hurt of the kings? Now we're going to encounter more problems now. Why? Because they were jealous. 
They were fearful. They were challenged by the temple of God. And every time now you start to build the temple of God in your life, in your home, wherever you are, the enemy is challenged. And as soon as he's challenged, he's going to try to move in and try to distort what God is doing. When God is at work building his church, Satan will be moving. And it says here now, verse 23, Now when the copy of King Xerxes' letter was read before Reham, Shimshai the scribe and the companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem against the Jews by force of arms with an army and made them stop. Look at this. They, were, they got what they wanted, these men that were jealous. Thus the work of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, ceased, and it was discontinued. It stopped until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. It discontinued. It never, it, it, it didn't go further for a season. And you know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to put the work of God at a standstill. Oh, they're doing a work of God, but I'm going to put it at a standstill so that there is no progress. What does the Bible say? Give yourself entirely to what God's called you to do so your progress may be evident to all. How does your progress look today? How does the progress look today? Has the enemy call, now came in and maybe stopped the progress by discouraging you, by making you maybe a little bit now uh, feeling that you are inadequate to grow in the Lord to build? Because the house of God was half done. It was unfinished. It was not complete. And sometimes we have unfinished business with God. We leave it half done because of what the world, the enemy tells us. We get discouraged and we're delayed in the work. But let me tell you this, we're not defeated. We're not defeated because it was only for a time. You know what the Bible tells us? Jesus said in John 16 verse 33, In this world you will have tribulation. You will face those oppositions. You will face that tribulation. But be of good cheer, cheer up. I have overcome the world. And because of that, we know that we can overcome the attacks of the enemy because we are in Christ. And because we're in Christ, we have the final victory in Him. And this shows us that maybe the work was stopped for a season, but it was not stopped forever. Now in chapter 5, we're going to see that it's going to begin again the work of God. But for a while, for a season now, it has been stopped. It has been delayed. The house is not finished. And guess what happens to the people when the, the, the house is not finished? They go back home. They start building the house of God. They go back getting comfortable. And they become a little bit lazy now. They don't want to build. That's what happens sometimes when you take a, two, a, a break. And then your break is too long. Guess what happens? You don't want to go back to work. Because you got used to not working. Because you're okay now with the situation. You are content in compromise now, you're content in the captivity. Oh, okay, you know what? We're gonna just go back and do whatever, you know, just go back on our business. We don't wanna we don't wanna go the hard way. But now the prophets of God here between chapter four and chapter five, Zechariah and the chap and, and the prophet Haggai speak now and he call and he activates now the people to stand up, rise up, and build. Stand up, rise up, and build. Get to work in the house of God. Get to work in the house of God. Maybe today you need to hear that. Get to work in the house of God. Where is your interest? Where is your attention? Where are your priorities? And for a season, we put the house of God on hold. But now the prophet is speaking. Are you going to hear the prophetic word today from the prophets? And are you going to move into action when God's called you to now move and, and consider your ways? Because here it says now in Ezra chapter 5 verse 1, and then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, are going to prophesy. They're going to tell him, get back to work, guys. What are you doing? Why are your priorities mixed up? 
And these prophets inspire encouragement. You know why it's important to read God's Word and read the prophecies? It, it inspires encouragement so that you can get back to work with what God's called you to do. Maybe today you need to be inspired through God's Word. That's what they do. They inspire us and encourage us to move forward. Maybe you're at a standstill. It says the prophets prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Who was over them? God was over them. God was still in control. And it says here in verse 1, God was over them, so Zerubbabel, the son of Shilatel, and Yeshua, the son of Jehozadak, rose up. They rose up and began to build the house of God, which was in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. What does it tell us? Rise up and build. And today, maybe we're stagnant, we're, we're showing lack of progress, but God is saying here, rise up and build. You know what it says here in Haggai? Haggai is just two chapters, but I encourage you today, maybe go home and read those two chapters, because they're some of the most powerful chapters that you read when these people were content now in captivity, and now Haggai tells them through the Lord, he says, consider your ways, rise up and build. Look at the house of God, it's, it, it's not done, it's not completed, but your house... It's all nice and pretty. Your house, it looks beautiful, but the house of God is not done and you're okay with it. Are you okay with leaving God's word half done? Are you okay with leaving it unfinished? Are you okay with, with seeing lack of progress and being content like, with that? Well, let's go through the motions. It's okay. We never show progress in building what God's called us to do. You know what the prophets here, they're rebuking their attitude of laziness. They start to rebuke their attitude towards the building of the temple because these people started to make their excuses sound spiritual. You know how you make your excuses sound spiritual? Oh, it's not the right timing yet for me to get involved. Oh, you know what? It's not, you know, it's just not the right season yet for me to get involved and build the temple of God. But why? Because they're preoccupied with their own business. They're preoccupied with their own home, with their own interests. And, and, and now they start to see judgment take place. And he's going to tell them, repent of your lazy self-indulgence, your trust in self. Trust now in God's word and have courage to obey the Bible. We have to ask the Lord, Lord, can you give us courage to obey what you call us to do so that we can move into action? I'm going to read to you Haggai chapter 1 if you want to turn there. In Haggai chapter 1 verse 2 it says, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, These people says, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house shall be built. Look what this is what the people saying. The time has not come for God's house to be built. Why would we ever say that? Oh, the time has not come for us to pray. You know, have you ever wanted to do something great for God? And we say, you know what, that sounds like a great idea. Let's go ahead and pray about it. Well, it sounds like a great idea. What do you think? We've been praying. <laughs> Let's start doing it now. <laughs> and, and sometimes we make our excuse sound spiritual. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to pray about going out and sharing my faith. And we never go out and share our faith because we make our excuse sound spiritual. And we have unfinished business. God's called us to already do it. We already know. We've already seen confirmation. We just don't want to move into action. So we say, it's not time yet. We don't have to really move. And look what Haggai the prophet here is rebuking now. And the problem was their priorities were not in order. They were content with letting God's cause suffer. And you see God's work, it's taking place, and then it's put at a standstill because these people do not want to work? No, there's a problem with that. 
You cannot ever let the Lord's words suffer at the expense of your comfort. Oh, it's uncomfortable to serve. Well, absolutely it's uncomfortable because it's, you're sacrificing. But we can never let God's words suffer. God's works suffer at the expense of our comfort. We can never do that. It says here now, Thus says the Lord, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house shall be built. Haggai 1 verse 3, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel houses and the temple to lie in ruins? Wait, wait, wait a minute. So it's not time for you to serve, but it is time for you to have a big house and everything be going good, ama amazing when it comes to your house. It's time for that, but it's not time for God. And this is amazing here when you read this. It's time for your house to look all nice and paneled. But let me get this straight. It's not time for God's house to be completed. How is that so? It's time for you to have a great time and use your time doing whatever you want. But it's not time for you to serve God. It's time for you to sacrifice, to chase the dreams that God has given you to fulfill with the God-given abilities that He has provided for you. But it's not time for you to serve the Lord. How is this possible? And it says here now, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Can you consider your ways tonight? Consider your ways. Consider the way you do things. Because here, we need to know that we need to have now a spiritual service of God that's supported through prayer. We can say something, well, we want to pray about it. Yes, we want to pray about it. And everything we do will be supported by prayer, but we also need to move into action. Consider your ways. Remember what God's called you to do. You have verse 6, then it says, you have sown much and you bring in little. You go and you work so much, but then you have so little. Why? Because you don't put God first. You see people sometimes, they're striving, working a lot and having, you know, thinking that they're going to have these huge bank accounts. And then you look back at the end of the year, man, I made this much and I have this little. What happened? Where did everything go? <laughs> it says, you sown much, but you bring in such a little. You eat, but you don't even have enough. You drink and you're not filled with a drink. You clothe yourself, but you no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages and puts him in a bag with holes. You know what a bag with holes is? doesn't matter how much you're making. If you're not putting God first, everything just runs out. Nothing will last and nothing will be enough. It will not suffice you and it will not fulfill you. It's, you know, when you put God first, it's interesting how God has a way of multiplying the little. <laughs> and then if we don't put God first, get what happens. Everything that you have runs out quick. Man, I remember there's been times in my life when I was, you know, you know, early on learning how to give to the Lord. And, I, you know, you got your first job, you're, you're 16 years old, and, and you start to find ways and not how to give to the Lord. And, and pretty soon the Lord says, all right, I'm going to test you. And, you know, all these little things start to happen where you have to spend your money. And all of a sudden you don't have any more money. But then you give faithfully to God and you see Him just multiply. Because you're putting Him first. Consider your ways. Consider your ways today. Thus says the Lord host, consider your ways, verse 7. Go up to the mountain, bring wood. What are you doing? Go to the mountain now. How is it that you have time for your things, but you don't have time for God? You have time to go work, but you don't have to come time to come serve? Consider your ways. Why is it all about you? Why is it all about self-serving you? Oh, you know, I just don't have, I don't know if I'll have time to do this. Man, but I will have time to do these other things. Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, bring wood in to build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for so much, but indeed it came in too little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. <laughs> this is the Lord. 
You came, you try to go and, and chase after things and leaving God's house over there to suffer. God's house is suffering because you're over there chasing your dream. And when you brought it home, guess what I did? I just blew it away. That's what the Lord will do. He's talking to this to his people. He's not talking to the world. He's saying he's talking this to his people. You came, you were chasing your dreams, and you let my work and my house suffer. And when you came in, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruins. My house is suffering because of you. So I'm going to blow it away. Well, every one of you run to his own house. Everyone has time for your own house, but you don't have time for God. Therefore, the heavens above you will withhold the dew or the blessing, and the earth withholds its fruit. Man, would you, do, you ever want, do you want to live in that season where, where God says, you know, all right, you want to play that game then? I'm going to let you work, and I'm going to get you, let you get tired, and I'm just going to blow it away. And the heavens are going to be close to you, and the earth is not going to produce any fruit. The most fruitful seasons of your life is when you say no to that opportunity to make money because it said yes to the opportunity to serve God. You see, this is the way God wants us to serve. The, the house was put completely on hold. And here Haggai and Zechariah come and they said, consider your ways. How does your agenda look? How does your schedule look? How does your availability look? It's interesting, when you get hired on to a job, right? What is the first thing that they do? What is the first thing that they ask you in the application? Can you go ahead and tell us your availability? <laughs> and you start to mark off the days that you can't work, the hours, I can work this day, this. And sometimes for the Lord, what we do is we mark it all off. I'm not available. I'm only available one day, three, four hours, and that's it. And then you expect the Lord to bless all the other days. Now, you block off those days, then how are you going to want me to bless those days? God's not going to bless that way. You see, it's, it's interesting because it says Haggai and Zechariah. Haggai say, consider your ways. And you know what Zechariah means? Zechariah means the Lord remembers. The Lord remembers. Why does the Lord remember? Because He wants to encourage them to mobilize now and accomplish the task that they began. They lost momentum. But they needed encouragement. And here Zechariah comes and he's encouraging them because God wants to do a work through them. It's so sad when people have wonderful gifts in the church and the church has to suffer because they're chasing empty dreams and they're never even satisfied, these people. This is what Haggai and Zechariah is telling them. But now Zechariah says, hey, God has a work. God has a plan. God has a calling. Do not be discouraged. And then number two, do not be distracted. And when you get, become discouraged and distracted, guess what happens? The enemy is so happy at that because now the work of God is suffering. Here they're trying to build the house of God. They're saying, rise up and build. And it's here what's amazing about Zechariah, because he tells us that God's not only interested in buildings, God's also interested in lives. And today we have to hear that prophetic word in spite of the risk, in spite of the comfort, in spite of the safety, obey the prophetic word where God says, rise up and build. And at the same time, verse 3, now we're back at Ezra chapter 5, verse 3. Tetanai, the government of the region beyond the river of Sheshtanar, Bosnai, and their companions came to them and spoke to them, saying, Who has commanded you to build the temple and finish the wall? So they rose up and, and started to build, right? They started to build, but now these governors came and said, You know what? Who told you? Who gave you the authority that you can build? They started to challenge him. Who said that you can do this? Who told you to start serving? Who told you that it was okay for you to do that? That's what the enemy wants you to feel like. 
This is the second attack for them to stop because it says now the Lord told them to rise up and build and they rose up and began to build the house of the Lord which was in Jerusalem and the prophets of God started to help them. Now they have people come onto the site and they said, you know, hey, who told you you can do this? The world hasn't told you you can do this and sometimes we're waiting for the world to give us a permit so that we can do what God called us to do. <laughs> Man, are you waiting for the world to give you a permit so that you can do what God called you to do? You can be waiting forever. Because the enemy will use the world to stop you. And it says here now, look in verse 4, it says, Then accordingly we told them, we told them the names of the men who were constructing the building. But I love this verse 5. But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews. We told them the names, but the God was protecting us. And if God is protecting us, then man can't stop us. If God was protecting us, that man cannot stop us. It says here, the elders, so that they could not make them seize till the report would go to Darius. Then it was written an answer and return concerning this matter. This is a copy of the letter that Titanaria sent. See, this is interesting here. Because they go and they start to now accuse them. And they said, you know what? The eye of God is upon us. We are not going to stop. We are not going to withhold until we know that the king said we can't do this again. So now they're going to send a second letter now, again. You see, the first letter was the letter of what? The first letter was a letter of condemnation. Stop. But the second letter is a letter full of grace. The second is a letter full of now hope. Isn't that amazing that the old letter in the law, what does the law do? It condemns us, right? But the new letter in Jesus Christ, what is that? It gives us grace so that we can enter and do what God has called us to do. Every spiritual advance that ever happened historically in the Bible, from the time of Abraham to every mission expansion in the book of Acts, every venture, venture that began in the word of the Lord, it is common that it would be threatened by the enemy. That is completely common. And it says here now in verse here, seven, as they write the letter to Darius, king, all peace. Verse seven, it says here, let it be known to the king that we went into the province of Judah to the temple of the great God which is being built and they have heavy stones. Hey, look what we saw. And the timbers being laid in the walls of this heavy work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. You know why God makes things prosper in your hands? When you obey his work. You obey His work and you obey His word, He makes it prosper into your hands. They said, look at the work is taking place that God is doing. It is going forward. And I love what this verse says in verse 8. Because it says, is going, is going forward with energy and with success. Is what you're doing today for God going forward with energy and success? Or do you just do, you know, whatever, I'm going to do it just half done. No, it says, no, they're doing it diligently. That means they're studying how to do it. They're working hard. They're waking up early. They're staying up late. And they're doing it diligently. And it's prospering in their hands. They are defeating discouragement. Why? Because they're obeying what God called them to do. And the work was taking place with energy and with success. The work is going forward with energy and with success. When you obey God's word, you know how the work is going to go forward? with energy and with success. Ask the Lord today, Lord, give me energy so that we can see your work prosper, so that we can see great success in what you've called us to do. What does it say in Psalms chapter 1? It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the sea of the scornful. 
Those that are not accompanied by the world or wickedness or sin, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates on it. In the Bible he meditates on it day and night. What kind of results is that person going to see? He shall be like a tree. I love this picture. He shall be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaves shall not wither, shall not dry up, and whatever he does shall prosper. Whatever he do shall prosper. Why? Because you're obeying God's word. And when God has called you, man cannot stop you. Man cannot stop you. They were prospering because they were heeding the voice of the word of God. You want to prosper? Then heed the voice of the work of God. And Ezra here is teaching them that God will cause those who keep his word to prosper in whatever they do. Whatever you do, God will make it prosper if you're obeying his word. It says here now from verse now 9, Then we asked the elders, and he spoke to thus says to them, who commanded you to build the temple and finish these walls. And we also asked them their names to inform us that you might write their names and the men who were the chief among them. Look, we went and we asked their names. But look what it says. And thus they returned an answer to us saying, this is the answer that they give to the enemy. And this is the answer that I want you to give to the enemy. We are servants of the God of heaven and the earth. We are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago. No, enemy, I'm not going to stop. I'm a servant of the God of heaven and of earth. The enemy wants to come and condemn me to tell me to stop. Who gave me the authority to, who gave me the right, who gave me the privilege to do this? I'm a servant of the God of heaven and of earth, and I'm rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago. That's what I'm doing. I'm a servant of God. And when you're a servant of God, you keep yourself focused in what God's called you to do. The enemy is going to come and say, you know what? I don't want you to do this. Why are you doing this? Who gave you the authority? Who, who, who do you think you are? I'm a servant of God, that's who I am. And that's exactly what I'm doing, which is the great, with a great king of Israel built and completed. But because of our fathers provoked, they start to share the testimony in verse 12. Because our fathers provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Because of our disobedience, the king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and carried the people away to Babylon. However, in the first year of Cyrus, King of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree in chapter 3 to build the house of God, also the God of silver, the articles, the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple that was in Jerusalem and carried them to the temple of Babylon. Those King Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon and they were given to one named she Sheshbazar, whom he made governor. And he said to them, Take these articles and go carry them to the temple site that is in Jerusalem and let the house of God be rebuilt on its former site. Do you remember back in chapter 3, King Cyrus gives permission, go build the house of God. He tells them, go take back the articles, everything, all the treasuries, take them back to the house of God. They're recounting now this story, this instant. Then the same Sheshbazzar came and laid the foundation of the house of God, which is Jerusalem. But from that time, even till now, it has been under construction and it is not finished. I want you to know that. What God has started, it is not finished. And it is up to us to carry on the work. We're not done yet. We've not arrived yet. You're a servant of God in heaven. And you're called to build a house. You are a servant of the God of heaven and earth. And you are called to finish the house of God. Now therefore, if it seems good to me, the king, let a search be made in the king's treasure house, which is in there of Babylon, whether it is so that a decree was issued by King Cyrus to build his house of God at Jerusalem and let the king send us to his pleasure concerning this matter. You know what they say? You know, we are so confident that this is true 
then why don't you go search out now your archives and see if the King Cyrus did not send us to do this. Because they knew that King Cyrus had sent them to do this. And now they're going to go and they're going to check it in chapter 6. In the following studies, we're going to find out that the, the, the truth that they were telling was being tested. And now that you're going to see the work of God be advanced, even through opposition, even through all of that, because God is faithful to let everything that you do in His name prosper, so as long as you're obeying His word. Put Him first and consider your ways. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank You, God. We pray, Lord, that we would not be delayed in discouragement. We ask, Lord, that we would respond to the prophetic warning, Lord, of Haggai and Zechariah, which said, consider your ways. Why is it that it is time for you to build your house, but it is not time for you to build the house of God? And we pray, Lord, that we would rise up, Lord, and get our priorities in order, and never say we don't have time for you, but we do have time for self. I pray, Lord, that we would consider our ways, God, and we would not let the enemy stop us from doing what you called us to do, that we would take it seriously, Jesus. We ask, Lord, that you would do that work in our hearts, Father. And we thank you, Lord, because these people were obedient, Lord, to you, and you teach us, Lord, as so as long as we're obedient to your word, you will make it prosper. That we would be like the tree that is planted by the rivers of water, whose leaves don't dry up and it gives fruit in its season. Do a work in our lives, God, and, and, and move us, Lord, into action. That we would not have these spiritual excuses, Lord, as to why we can't serve you. In Jesus' name we pray and together we said. God bless you guys. We'll see